You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome a day. I uh, hope you had a great spring break, and we're coming to the end of that. Yes, we are. Kids going back to school on Tuesday, maybe tomorrow for some of you. But we are in this series, as you can see, we're looking at the incredible promise uh, of Jesus to give us something that he called abundant life. And every week in this series, as you may know, we're looking at that promise. Then we're looking at a problem or a tension that gets in the way of that promise. And finally, taking a look at a spiritual practice that can help us break through. So each week, again, it's promise, then problem, then practice. Let's get started with our scripture reading today. It's going to be from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. Here we go. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. That's the reading of God's word today and all his people said, come on, amen. Yeah, if you've read Homer's Odyssey, Maybe you were forced to read it. You know, it's all about a Greek hero named Odysseus. Odysseus is a warrior. Uh, in the story, he's stuck far from home after a war ends, and all he wants to do is to get home and live a normal life with his wife and his son. And so he begins this epic journey home with his crew. And on the way, if you know the story, he's got to pass the island of the Sirens. Yes, and in Greek mythology, the Sirens were these beautiful creatures whose lovely voices and songs lured lonely, unsuspecting sailors to the island in order to kill them. It is Greek mythology after all, but Odysseus, he is warned about the island. He's been told about the Sirens' trick, so now he's got a choice. 
On one hand, he could sail way around the island. And while he won't hear the sirens that way, it will cost him precious time. Because again, after all, if you know the story, back home he's got exactly 108 young suitors trying to steal his wife while he's gone. Or, on the other hand, he could sail directly past the island, take the fastest route. He'd get home sooner that way, but he'd likely be lured to his death. So what's he going to do? He's got a choice to make in the present that affects his future. Now, again, on one hand, if he only considers his present moment, his need for speed, he'll be lured to his death. But if he only considers his future and doesn't act directly and quickly in the present, he might not make it to the future he desires. How should he live now in the present so that he can be who he wants to be in the future? Now, I'll come back to our man's solution later. But for now, let me just say this. Of all the challenges we face in life, this perhaps is one of our greatest, if not the greatest. It's the tension between present and future. How do we live our lives in the present with the right consideration for the future? And how do we consider the future without, as it's been said, being so heavenly minded we're no earthly good? How do we navigate this tension? Well, I want to tell you today, Jesus Christ offers us a far better solution than anyone else. Yes, even Odysseus. It's a brilliant solution he has. It's one only the Greeks, one the Greeks and other cultures could only dream about and imagine. What Jesus offers, and we'll look at it, is a power from the future that brings his promise of abundant life into our lives in the present. And to see how that happens, I want today, I want to compare and contrast two conversations Jesus has with two different people in this passage who are trying to follow him. It illustrates this tension between present and future. And then we're going to look at a singular Christian practice that can help us reconcile both and experience the abundant life of Christ. Here we go. Let's work through the passage like this in three parts. Number one, we're going to look at the rich man and the present. Number two, Peter and the future, and finally, Jesus and everything. Oh, yes. Number one, here we go. Let's look at this first conversation, the rich man and the present. So here we are. Follow me here. I'm going to push you towards an almost unbearable tension, I hope. Here we are in Matthew 19. It's in the middle of a block of Jesus' teaching on all kinds of subjects, and up to him, while he's teaching, walks an unnamed person. Apparently, it's a man with great wealth, and the man asks Jesus this question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, this is a great question. We should point this out because the man is asking Jesus, how should I live, come on, catch this, in the present in such a way that it impacts my future? What good thing must I do now to get eternal life then? Now, before I tell you Jesus' answer, let me give you an alternate answer. Okay, because around the world, lots of people, teachers, cultures have given lots of answers to this specific question. And today, here's our ultimate answer. In our culture, when asked, what good thing must we do to get eternal life? Today, in our modern secular views, our other answer, when we say, what good thing must we do? We don't like the question because that sounds a lot like moral obligations, does it not? 
But because we say there is no God, we say there's no such thing as right and wrong, there's therefore no greater purpose in life and therefore individual happiness, individual comfort, individual power right now in the present are what are most important. There is no eternal future, we say, and because all we have is the now, all we should live for is us. That's how we today answer this man's question. And the best illustration I may have ever come across for this, of all things, is the movie, Frozen. Yes. Because when Elsa sings, let it go, what else is she embracing but an exalted view of this self as the ultimate agent and judge of what is right and wrong, good and evil? She sings this, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Yes. That's essentially our modern secular response to the man's question. We're done with right and wrong, rules, good and evil, etc. Which, of course, is nonsensical. Even the most secular skeptic would object to the bank taking their money. Imagine if the bank said, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. We would object, of course, to an airline pilot flying drunk. Yeah, but this song, again, represents our modern view. There's no eternal future. Therefore, our present is meaningless other than how we choose to maximize the self. Now, back to the text and the question. Our modern view says, live for yourself, but Jesus says no. If, conditionally, you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Oh, wait, what's this? Jesus is affirming there is an eternal future for all humans, and he's connecting our moral choices to that future? Yes. Which ones, the man asked. Jesus replied, he gives him a list, basically the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, no adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mom and dad, and love your neighbor as yourself. So again, Jesus lists a number of moral commands, moral commands, and this is the man's reply. All these... I have kept, pretty bold, but okay, we're going with it. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, for those of you who love to sit around at coffee shops and kitchen tables and hash out problematic statements of Jesus that don't fit in nice, neat boxes, may I present to you Matthew 19, 21. Have fun with this one. But what I want you to notice about this is three things in specific. Number one, Jesus is affirming that how we live morally and ethically in the present affects our eternal future. If Jesus were singing this, I think it might go like this. Real right, real wrong, real rules for you. It's true. Okay, sorry. All right. In other words, because there is an eternity, your moral choices matter. This means, this is good news actually. This means your life matters right now. Even if you don't think it does, even if someone's told you differently, your life really matters. This is great news. Oh, but number two, it also means this. Jesus' statement is both encouraging and exhausting. We should be saying, Jesus, I'm glad my life and choices matter, but I'm pretty sure unlike your boy here in Matthew 19, I can't be perfect. To which Jesus would say, I know 
That's why I came. And to which I think Jesus would also say, don't walk away from me just yet. Because when this young man heard this, verse 22, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I think Jesus would say to us, if you walk away from me now, if you walk away from this conversation, you'll be like this man here who walked away and never heard what I longed to do for him in his heart. Why did the man, young man walk away? Well, it's not just that he loved his Louis Vuitton, <laughs> which he did it. it just, he couldn't see a good enough reason to walk away from King Louis, all right? He couldn't see a powerful enough reason to trust King Jesus. He didn't have a vision for his future great enough to shape his life in the present. But if only he would have kept walking, if only he would have kept listening, if only he would have kept leaning in, he would have heard this second conversation in which Jesus Christ drops a bombshell about the future that shows us how we really can follow him and live lives of hope and meaning right now. Number two, second conversation is Peter and the future. All right. Moving on. So the man walks away sad, and Jesus uses it, as always, as a teachable moment. Verse 23. Then he said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, of course, you may know this. People always want to debate the meaning of the metaphor. Like, was there really a place called the eye of a needle? Like, it's a gate where the camel had to squat down and go through? Or was it like a literal needle with a teeny tiny space that Jesus is talking about? And basically he's saying, good luck getting a huge camel through that. (laughs) Regardless, we shouldn't miss, this is the important bit, the disciples' reaction. Because when they heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, again, some quirky, with man this is impossible, But with God, all things are possible. And now Peter, always a stand-in for all of us, thinking about how good that rich guy had been, and still he walked away from Jesus. Peter asked a question all his friends wanted to ask. Probably you might too, but we're all too scared to ask. This is the question we ask today. Verse 27, Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Oh, and there it is. As in Jesus, come on, all my friends are out partying right now. They're in the club. I'm stuck in my dorm doing Bible studies. Jesus, my roommate, she got tired of waiting for her husband, so she just went all Elsa on us, right? Just let it go. Girls just want to have fun. I'm going to sleep with that guy. What about me? I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm waiting on you. I've left everything to follow you. What is there for me? Or my business partners are cheating Jesus, but I didn't. I said something about it and it got me fired. I lost my job for you, Jesus. What will there be for me? What can you give us in the future, Jesus, that can help us live now in the present? Verse 28, he said to them, truly, I tell you. Aren't you glad Peter asked these questions? We get these answers. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, say everyone, 
who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and eternal life. Now, Jesus is doing something incredible here. He's using a word here. It may only stand out a little bit to you, but it's a word which would have struck his listeners as outrageous. What's the word? It's the word renewal here in English. Oh, but in Greek, it's the word palagenesia, the new Genesis. And it's a technical philosophical term. It was used by the Greek Stoics in that day to summarize their belief about how the world and the universe work. Here it was. These ancient Greek philosophers believed that the world and society were always getting worse and worse and worse. And after a long period of time, like a degrading, you know, Apple, it hasn't gotten its updates yet, Apple iPhone, the universe itself would cycle down, power down, and then reboot or be reborn and cleansed through fire. And they believed that time itself was not linear, but cyclical. And the palagenesia would happen over and over and over again. And therefore, what Jesus is doing and saying here is radical. He takes their word and says both yes and no to their belief. He says palagenesia does happen, but it'll happen only once. He says at the palagenesia, at the renewal of the universe itself, everything will be cleansed. Everything will be reborn. Everything will be put right. And when will that happen? He says at a point in the future, he says, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne. He said, after I'm resurrected, at one point, my power will do this from my throne, come on, will come and flow the renewal of all things. This is Isaiah's vision. New heavens, new earth. Everything will sing, dance, be healed. And he says, I'll give you back a hundred times or more anything you've ever given me. Now, one of my favorite passages, yes, Lord of the Rings, moves me to tears. It's at the end of the whole bit. The heroes, the feet of the darkness, the king sits on his throne, begins to rule. Sam Gamgee, one of the heroes, he turns and sees his friend alive again named Gandalf. He thought Gandalf was dead. He turns and he says this, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Now, that's Sam asking Gandalf. But I want you to do this. Go to the Bible and ask Jesus the same question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer Jesus gives us here, Matthew 19, is yes. Yes. You know what this means? It means this. That the palagenesia, the renewal, isn't just a consolation prize because you lived a hard life. No, it's a power from the resurrected Jesus that'll make all your pain, all your tragedy, all your grief turn into a kind of a joy if you hadn't have tasted it, if you hadn't have suffered. The palagenesia will be like waking up from a nightmare only to see what you lost in the dream. He's standing alive back in front of you. The palagenesia means all the history is heading towards a sweeping and galactic climax at the throne and the heart, feet and the heart of Jesus and all your history. I love this. Of sadness and sacrifice, it won't be forgotten. No, it will 
become untrue. The palagenesia will change the hurt and the loss from the inside out to make your soul even better for having lived it. See, the future renewal of all things is almost too good, almost too glorious, almost too staggering to grasp. It's nosebleed theology in a way. And yet that is what Jesus says will happen, and his resurrection proved it will. And this is all amazing. I thought maybe I'd get a hand clap for that, but that's okay. But here, clapping for Jesus, not for me, but here's where the Bible gets even better. Because it doesn't just say it will happen in the future, follow me. It says we can have a taste of it right now, and here's where. Palagenesia is used only one other time in the Bible, and it's used of all places over in the book of Titus. Titus was an early Christian leader. Titus chapter 3. It's used by the Apostle Paul to describe the moment that a person becomes a Christian. Look at this, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, talking about Jesus, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Good news. He saved us, here it is, through the washing of rebirth and, everybody say, renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see what he's saying. Paul's saying the same power that'll one day cleanse the whole universe, set everything right, destroy evil, redeem creation itself down to and past the molecular level is the same power that comes into your life when you become a Christian. The same power that'll transform the universe in the future, the Bible says, works backward into your life in the present. What do you imagine a life marked by this renewal might look like? Let me give you just one example. I could tell a hundred stories from this church alone. One I remember is from our street ministry. I love this. A young lady, she wrote not too long ago, came and told me the incredible story of her life. She's 20 years old, beautiful, but it was homeless, living on the streets through a drug addiction. One Sunday, she met some of our homeless friends who were coming here to Mosaic, and she asked why they could be excited about going somewhere on a Sunday. They invited her here. God touched her heart. She came back the next week, surrendered her life to Christ, was water baptized. Over the next month's time, she got sober, was reunited with her mother, with tears in her eyes, came and thanked me for all of this and told me how she couldn't believe God had done this for her. That is renewal. Renewal of all things. And that's why theologian Jonathan Edwards described palagenesia like this. He said it's the first effect of the power of God in the heart, giving the heart a divine taste or sense to cause it to have a relish of the loveliness and sweetness of the supreme excellency of the divine nature. How do we access all of this loveliness, sweetness, excellency? Number three, let's look at Jesus now and everything. To access the power of the promise, here it is. We need something called a commitment device. Will you say that with me? Commitment device. What's that? Back to our friend Odysseus, as promised. That fictional day on that fictional ship, our man still had a choice to make. How do I live again now that'll help me get home in the future without crashing on the way? Do you know what Odysseus did? You might. He gave his men wax for their ears. And he told them, no matter what, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how I beg, no matter how I plead, don't listen to me because I'm going to leave my ears unplugged. If you listen to me and you do what I say, we're all going to die. So don't listen. 
Then Odysseus had his men tie him to the mast of the ship. Feet, hands, legs, all that. That was his commitment device. It held him in place. The thing that enabled him to heed the warning, keep the commandment. Not going to the island and being able to live right in his present moment. And it worked. And he lived happily ever after. There was a commitment device, catch this, at the intersection of his present and his future. You need that. I need that. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. Psychologists tell us that the problem with commitment devices is that they can be both exhausting and negotiable. (laughs) They're exhausting because no one can stay up on the mast forever through sheer willpower. And they can be negotiable, like the proverbial swear jar. None of you have ever done this, I know. As in every time you say something you know you shouldn't, like a dollar goes in the jar. And at first, it's painful. It costs you. It's helping. But then, after a while, you start to negotiate with the jar. You think, hang on. I'm putting money in the jar. i got to give away. But if I swore more, I could give more money away to charity. Like the more bad words I said, the more I could give to Mosaic, you know? And then it becomes the more bad stuff I do, the more God loves me. Oh, see, we negotiate. That's how twisted we are. Psychologists tell us, yeah, you need a commitment device to get you from your present to your future to get us to be who we want to be. But for it to work, here's what it takes. We need not just our wills tied to it, but our emotions bonded to it. And here is where, of all things, the singular Christian practice of worship comes in. Worship is the thing that sits at the intersection of our present and our future. It's the commitment device that connects our present and our future by fusing our wills and our emotions. How can we start to practice that Oh, it's by seeing what's inside the cryptic last words of Jesus here in this passage. He aims us at it. He says this, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now, this statement aims our hearts at worship, and here's how. It's because while this, of course, this is true of people in general, it's most true in specific of him. Because Jesus, come on, was the first who became the last He was the Prince of Heaven, the only begotten Son of the Father, who had only ever honored his Father. He was the first. But for the sake of the salvation and redemption of humanity, he crawled inside his mother's womb and became the last. And he lived as a human. And he saw the wretched ways that people exploit each other, how they oppress each other. He experienced, think about it, how the world that he had made as a garden had descended into murder and madness. And then he came healing sick bodies and he touched lepers and he lifted the poor and he honored women and he preached prophetic justice. And for all of that, heaven's first became earth's last. And after an unjust trial, he suffered the worst death, the greatest human power in the world in that day could ever devise, a death on a cross. And he took into his body all the waste of humanity and experienced the loss of eternal perfect love. And he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Me, the first, who's now become the last. Why did he do this? It's so that we, the last, could become.
come like him. Live with him, the first. We could be loved by God like Jesus was, affirmed like the firstborn of all creation, held like the firstborn from the dead. That's Jesus. Listen, when you, you see that and you hear that, maybe even you, you feel that, what does it make you want to do? I don't want you. It makes my heart want to worship. Not just to bind my will to Christ, which I should, but to open my heart to him and allow my emotion to spill out and over and to receive in that moment a taste of his cleansing, healing power from the future. Like the hymn writer Charles Wesley put it, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused him pain for me who him to death pursued amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? See, the commitment device that releases the power of the future into the challenge of your present is worship. We can sail past every temptation, arrive safely at home when we worship, when we climb up on that mast of worship. We do release that power from the future into our present, we allow it to change us. It can happen a lot of ways, of course, as you know. But I think it happens many times, maybe most often, when we sing. And this is why, by the way, you need to be in a Christian place of worship week in and week out. Plug for church. All right. Let's practice this right now, okay? We're going to open our hearts to receive this power that can change us in the present. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out. They're going to lead us here in a final song today. And I'm going to take a moment and pray. And then... We're going to open our hearts. Amen. Would you stand with me here as we begin to close? We're going to pray and sing. Lord, we just ask you now, would you minister to us? We thank you that you're with us. You're our Emmanuel, our God with us. Jesus, you're the first who became the last so that we the last could be like you and with you the first. Would you open our hearts and allow us a moment here for believing a moment for receiving your power. Or for all those who need it, who are sick, in pain, scared, confused, lost, would you reach out to us now and find us? Pray your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.